Thank you, Brian and choir and musicians this morning. It's good to worship with you. And thank you, Brother Don. Thank you. What a blessing. What a blessing. It is good to be in the Lord's house. Good to worship with you. I want to remind you and celebrate this with you this morning that Jesus was tested and that he was found faithful. Uh, this testing did not only um, occur during the last season of Jesus' life, that intense last week we call Holy Week, but it was a testing that endured his entire ministry. In Matthew chapter 3, Jesus is baptized and his identity is declared this is my chosen one. This is my son. These notes would have rang, I believe, the, the, the sound and tone in the listener's ears of kingship, royalty, a special status, and a relationship with God. Now, this is declared, this is my son, and then in chapter 4, we'll read in just a moment, Jesus goes to be tempted. He is following the pattern of Israel. Matthew has made this connection already by citing Hosea chapter 11, verse 1, and chapter 2, verse 15 of Matthew. He makes this connection, a prophecy everybody would have put, I think, as an Old Testament reader with Israel. He's called Israel out of Egypt. Israel is my son. If you go on and read, though, in Hosea chapter 11, go down to verse 2, the loose hatchet paraphrase is something like this. God says, yes, I called them. I did declare them to be my children. But you know, the more I called them, the more they seemed to turn away and run away. This will not be the case with Jesus. And again, in the imagination of Matthew, he's trying to note this comparison. So he has called Israel out of slavery in Egypt. He's declared them to be his own people. And then after they receive that commission, you'll note they go into the wilderness where they're tested and things don't go so well. By contrast, we note this. When Jesus is declared to be the Son of God at his baptism, immediately there in the very next chapter, we see that he is led to the wilderness where he faces the tempter. Can we read Jesus' faithful facing of temptation from Matthew chapter 4? And celebrate his faithfulness and his staying the course. Will you follow along as I read for you from chapter 4 verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said. If you are the son of God. Tell these stones to become bread. 
And Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand at the highest point of the temple. Now, if you're the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift, up, uh, lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to a test. Then the devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. Verse 9, All this I will give to you. I'll give it to you if you bow down and worship me. And Jesus said, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. And then the devil left him, and the angels came and attended him. Jesus was faithful to face temptation. I'd like to challenge you and I to face the day ahead and ready ourselves to face temptation, ready ourselves to stay the course and be true and not be distracted, not be taken off task, off course, but be faithful like Jesus was faithful. I first want to ask you to think with me about the sort of nature of these temptations. They obviously mean something kind of plain and obvious in the text. Jesus hasn't eaten. He's been fasting, preparing for this challenge, preparing for this season of testing. And so at this point, I'll spare you, but at this point, you might have had the preacher say, you know, I've got a slide from when I was in the Holy Land. And I traveled, and sure enough, along the Sea of Galilee, there's a place where there's all these little bitty rocks, and they look like loaves of bread. Have any of you ever had that? Well, anyway, it's routine. I have such a picture. Do you have such a picture? Okay. It's common to people who make it over there. I'll spare you the picture, but the idea is this. Jesus was asked to make bread to satisfy his immediate need. Jesus was asked to create a spectacular miracle. I take that pinnacle of the temple probably to be the southwest corner, the busiest intersection in Jerusalem. And Jesus throwing himself down there to be rescued by angels would have been a spectacular matter. I suppose he could have written his ticket and asked for anything he wanted from all the admiring onlookers who were ready and hungry for a certain kind of Messiah. My word to you would be this, especially these first two temptations. Notice the way the tempter goes at things. He sort of sides up to the issue. Now, there's degrees of iffiness in the Greek language. And I don't know if this is the least or the most iffy, 
But anyway, uh, bear with me. It, it, the idea is something like this. It, it concedes for the purpose of conversation. What is at stake? And so I'm not saying the devil was fully embracing Jesus as the Son of God. I'm just suggesting to you this, that this conversation goes this way. It's as if, though, Satan were spelling it out. Now, for purposes of our conversation, let's go ahead and concede that you are indeed the Son of God. Now, if that's the case, then what's the next step? Let's test this theory. If you're the Son of God, then shouldn't this be true? And shouldn't this be true? And that's sort of the way he goes at things. I'm granting for the purpose of conversation. Let's say you're the son of God. If this is, if this is the way it is indeed, then, then this is the way things could play out. You could do this. You could do this. And each time Jesus rejects his appeal, although they seem to have a certain power to them, I think if we read it fairly, there's a certain persuasiveness. Indeed, the devil has a text for everything he asks. Uh, the devil, for his brief appearances in Scripture, quotes a lot of Scripture. You get what I'm saying? And the verses seem to have a kind of logic to them. Uh, Jesus did want to stir the people and, and draw them to a new kingship and to acknowledge the rulership of God. Miracles end up playing a part of what Jesus does and the, and the, and the evidence and the, and, and the rhetorical value of what Jesus says. Uh, miracles are part of that. But in each case, this idea is that, well, you sort of trade on that. And you manipulate that. And even in a more serious way, these are all sort of subtle ways for Jesus to meet the popular misunderstandings about what a Messiah would be like. Oh, they wanted a Messiah. They wanted a new ruler. And they thought that new ruler would be marked like old rulers, like Moses and the manna. Well, they wanted a bread giver. You will recall, some of you will recall scenes in Jesus' life where, in John chapter 6, for example, where he does create bread. And what's the thing they want to do right away? They want to make him king. They were ready for a new ruler. They, they thought that ruler would give them prosperity and bread. And they thought that ruler would create remarkable miracles that would demonstrate to everyone the power of this moment and the new king has arrived they also wanted him, like temptation number three, to be a ruler, to cast off those Romans and set the people of God on their own course to be in charge of their own history. It seems like it's so much of what Jesus came to do. But my word to you is this. It's not what God called him to do. It's a subtle distortion. Those words in the baptism not only recognized that Jesus was to be this special one, this special representative of God, this son of God, this ruler for God's sake, 
but they also rem remind us and inform us that Jesus was to be a different kind of ruler. He was going to be the ruler who suffered. Wow. He suffered for God's sake. And notice, the tempter is trying to get him to become something so close to what God wanted him, and yet to abandon the cause of suffering. Jesus responds to every temptation with a quotation from Scripture, but notice his Scripture quotation rings truer because it comes from a spirit of genuine surrender to the purpose of God and to God's purpose in his life. And Jesus stays the course. Jesus stays true. He will not deviate to take a near, a near path, to, a path to a, near, a nearly identical kind of destination. Instead, he will discern that his job is to be faithful to God's purpose for him with every intent. He will not abandon suffering. He will not meet the popular expectations of a misunderstood Messiah. He will instead go the way of suffering. And at every turn, he'll be dependent upon his father. He will not see his relationship to the Father as something to be exploited or taken advantage of. Instead, he is this humble servant. He stays the course. Now, I want to tell you, it's important for us to understand. Temptation doesn't always come to you and speak to you as an absolute rebel. I know God says this, but I want you to do this. So often, God gives us a course and temptation's purpose is just to get us off course. I don't want you to be fatalistic. I don't want you to be without hope. The truth is this. God walks with us and gives us a hundred course corrections, a thousand course corrections in the course of our life. He is there faithful to us again and again. But you do understand how important it is to stay on course. My dad's birthday is Monday. I'd love to see him, hope to see him soon. He lives north of Fort Worth. Now, I'm a city boy, so uh, and I'm directionally kind of challenged, but uh, where would north be? It'd be that way, right? Okay, well, my instincts serve me well. Now, I'm not sure exactly where north is, but I'd have to go some ways north to get to Fort Worth. Now, along the way, I would adjust my course if I didn't miss Hillsborough or whatever, I would know to turn this way or that way, right? But all that to say, setting my course now to walk to my father's home do you see the consequence of just being a little bit off course? Now again, God is gracious to us. To help us again and again to get back on track. But do you see the importance of staying on course? Satan is telling Jesus, we can do almost all that stuff you want to do. Just listen to what the people are saying they want from you. We can do this. 
And then in the third temptation, no siding up to the issue, no sort of maneuvering, now a frontal assault. Look at all that is before you from this vista on the mountaintop. Look at that. Look at all of it. It's yours. It's yours. I'll grant it to you. A kingdom ready made. And Jesus is going to spend his whole preaching career talking about a kingdom. Doesn't it seem like you can get there in a much easier way? Do you remember by contrast the way that awaits Jesus? And along the whole course, he has people trying to get him off track. Even when he's on the cross, don't you remember that there are authorities down there at the foot of the cross saying, you know, for a guy who says you're the Messiah, you're not doing so well. But then they go on and say something like this. They say this, you know, if you're really the son of God. Wow. It's not the exact same expression in those first two um, first two. But it can't help but, I think, ring the note and remind us. They say, you know, if you'd show your power and come down from there, we'd, we'd follow you. Wow, wow. All along the way, there's this effort to get Jesus to abandon the way of suffering, to get him off track. But from the outset... From when this declaration is given to him, we celebrate this. You and I, our hope with God rests on this. He was faithful. He was faithful. He was faithful. He stayed the course. And when you and I fumble and wander and stray, I just want to tell you our hope does not rest in our own native ability But our hope rests in this, that what Jesus did enables the grace of God to take a hold of our lives. And he, by his mercy, can put us back. And one day we will arrive at this fellowship with our Father. I want to say to you, he's faithful. Now this morning, I just want to tell you, I'm grateful and humbled to be your interim pastor. And I want to ask you, will you resolve with me to stay on course? Will you? There's a challenge before us. There's a future before us. And I'm not saying getting there is easy. Going through a transition and finding your new leadership is hard under any circumstance. And there are almost always special circumstances and challenges in addition to that. And I just want to tell you, will you resolve with me to do this? To find that voice and purpose of God and to be true to it? And not to be taken off course. Just a little bit of off course can do a lot of harm. And I just want to tell you, 
can we pledge together that we will seek the voice of God and we will be pliant, we will be ready, we will be eager, and we will seek to stay on course. It is the right thing to do in this Easter season. It is the necessary thing to do in this season of our church's life. And I want to tell you and and call you that it is not easy. Finding that purpose of God is is not easy and and, and so on. And I just want to say it will take everything that we are. Uh, Take your special music uh, to real heart now. We need to be attentive to our relationship with God. It's not just quoting any uh, verse along the way or doing whatever we want in the name of God. It is, no, meeting God and finding His voice and honoring it in our lives. And I just want to challenge you. Do you sense this burden? And I'm praying that the Lord would stir in your heart and my heart to create this hunger that we want to know the way forward and we want to stay the course. I'll offer you a word of confession. In my own heart and my own life. I want more for our time together. than just to say, well, Randy, you did a good job for us. I I do want to tell you it means the world to me. I hope when we uh, uh, part uh, company, not friendship, but company, and there's someone else that uh, the Lord has shown to be be brought to this place to stand here and to be uh, this proclaimer and to be your pastor. And uh, that's all being... uh, uh, tied up and, and, and affirmed and confirmed and, and, and there's a great sense of uh, a resolution to that. You'll be glad to send me on my way uh, when that's done. And, and uh, No, I won't be glad to go, but I'm just trying to say uh, to you, uh, when that time comes, I just want to say, it'll mean a lot to me if you say, hey, you tried hard, you did your best to preach a good sermon and to care for us like you could around your schedule. Otherwise, you, you know, we appreciate your effort. Well, I, I want to do, I want to do a good job. But I want to do more than a good job. I want to have walked with you and you and I since that God gave us a sense of calling and purpose and a direction. And that when we were faithful to walk that way, he did something wonderful in our midst. That's beyond my good effort and your good effort all pitched in together. Do you understand what I'm saying? I want to have the blessing in my life that my faithfulness is following the course that God has led me on. That there is some fresh voice from God that confirms 
what I'm doing and how I serve him. And I want God to do something in our midst that's more than just, again, your good effort and my good effort. I want and long to see the faithfulness of God. Now, I make no demands. If I wanted to say, well, God, I, I want a miracle here, then I would fall into the trap maybe that Jesus avoided, right? To make God do things on my terms. But I'm just saying this. I want our season together to be marked by this. This hunger and appetite. To see God work and provide for us in ways that we can't right now simply calculate. Is that on your heart? It's on mine. I want to warn us, the truth is this, these words are hard to manipulate, and finding your course is not easy. Uh, there, there are folks who say, oh, it, it, it's easy, just find what you're good at, right? Uh, now, I need a little help uh, cleaning out, but there's a popular thing that says, well, find whatever gives you joy, right? <laughs> right? You, anybody else watch uh, those programs, right? Uh, find what gives you joy, keep that and throw everything else away, right? You remember that? You, you've seen that? And, and there's all kinds of people that find what's fulfilling and so on. And I don't think that God wants to make you an ogre or unhappy, but I just want to remind you, Jesus' course did not involve a simple and ready self-fulfillment. It involved trusting and knowing and loving God and doing what God had called him to do. Wow. And I want you to stay on that course. And if God has placed you here, I need to call you to a sincerity about your churchmanship and your service and your support and your love for one another and your love for church family. I need you to stay the course. And let's have this resolve that when the day comes that we will sense that God has done something wonderful for us. And God has been in our midst. And we will know just a little bit of what it means to have been faithful and to have stayed the course. Can I call you to stay the course? This morning, there might be someone here who's never ever made public an affirmation about Jesus Christ, I want to tell you that what Jesus Christ did makes it possible for you to know God. He did not go this other way, this easy way, and I will tell you, you're not to live your life in near approximation of an appreciation of Jesus. It is not enough to be an onlooker or an admirer of Jesus. I will challenge you like Jesus' story challenges us all. I want you to affirm your affection and your faith and your reliance and your dependence on Jesus Christ. And I want you to find out who you are by learning him, by following him. And if you've been on the fringe of the Christian family for some long time, but you've never made that step of faith, 
I challenge you this day to make it. I want to tell you, let's not have confidence in our own self. Let's not be too sure of who we are, but let's be sure of this. In the faithfulness of Jesus, God did something remarkable. More than any one of his day ever expected. And let's pray. That honoring that same faithful Jesus. We'll know. That same blessing among us. Let's pray together. Gracious Father. We are grateful for Jesus. We are grateful. For his faithfulness. And Lord I pray Would our allegiance to Jesus emerge and rise and be stirred by your spirit? And may we love him and long for him. Like we have never known him and loved him before. Stir in us a faithfulness, a resolve. And Lord, again, we celebrate as we begin this reality. We thank you for the faithfulness of your son. And that this son loved his father so much. Would that love take in us and stir us? We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand this morning? I'll be here to receive you. If you have a decision you'd like to make public this morning, someone may want to join this church fellowship. Someone may want to make some decision public. Let me call all of us, though, this morning in our brief time of decision. Let me call all of us. Let's stay the course. Let's be faithful to our identity in Jesus Christ.